Good evening. This is Bud Lundmer bringing you selections from my own record collection in a program we call Bud's Corner. Each Sunday night at this time, I'll be playing the great swing music of the 30s and 40s, the big bands in their heyday, the small groups, the great individualists. Sometimes we'll dip back into the 1920s to explore the beginnings of this wonderful music we call jazz, and sometimes we'll venture into the later years to appreciate the new ideas and even some of the mainstream players of today. But whatever it is, it will swing. Our format is to feature a single artist each week. This, uh, so on this week, we have the delight of having one of the most popular bands of the swing era. Here's their theme.
That, of course, was a theme, Moonlight Serenade, the theme of Glenn Miller and his orchestra, without question the most popular band of the big band era. Glenn Miller, just to give a little background, was born in Clorinda, Iowa, March 1st, 1904. Uh, the family moved while he was uh, a young boy in 1909 to Nebraska, then to Missouri, and uh, uh, actually uh, Glenn went to high school in Fort Morgan, Colorado. He attended the University of Colorado for a short time, but by the mid-1920s was well into music and was uh, out of school. He played with Ben Pollock as early as 1926, and uh, was uh, a well-recognized trombonist. Now, in his orchestra, Glenn Miller really never featured himself. You see many pictures of Glenn playing the trombone, but that is almost exclusively with the trombone section. His comment was that he couldn't compete with Tommy Dorsey. He was a good trombonist, however, and freelanced around New York before forming his uh, big band, uh, was on many... Uh, uh, jazz records uh, during that time, and uh, so he uh, could have done well had he chosen to, but he took the path of a band leader. Uh, he started his first band in 1937. It was really a kind of a semi-Dixieland band, quite different from the one he uh, won uh, popularity with at a later time, and it was not un really until 1939 that the band caught fire. Uh, it was then that they recorded Moonlight Serenade and a number of other uh, tunes that uh, gained them immediate national uh, uh, popularity. It's uh, peculiar that uh, Glenn Miller has such a reputation. The band's popularity re really lasted from 1939 until he disbanded and went into the uh, Army in 1942, some three, three and a half years. The great popularity is based upon but it really is a great popularity. The time he recorded Moonlight Serenade in the summer of 1939, he also recorded this tune, Little Brown Jug. Thank you. 
Glenn Miller and his orchestra, Little Brown Jug. As I stated, the first Miller band was formed in 1937. Uh, it really was uh, did not gain a great deal of popularity, and uh, uh, Miller eventually disbanded in January of 1938. A couple of months later, he did reform. He had some of his holdovers uh, from the old band, I, th I think just four of them. He brought in some new people who were to really become important in the uh, uh, Miller Band. The biggest one of was Gordon Tex Beneke, who, was, uh, who became the sort of jazz vocalist and uh, uh, lead saxophone player. Uh, the uh, vocalist Ray Everly, a brother of Bob Everly, who uh, sang with Jimmy Dorsey. Uh, he began to adopt a, a, a different style of uh, play. and. Um, uh, the band eventually caught fire. He also, in uh, late 1938, uh, hired Marion Hutton. Now, uh, we all know her well. She is the sister of Betty Hutton, who probably won more fame as an actress, both Broadway and, and, uh, uh, and in Hollywood. Uh, the Hutton's uh, girls were really singing together at the time, and uh, Glenn picked Marion over Betty uh, because he thought Betty had too volatile a personality to, to handle. He may have been right because she certainly, uh, she certainly did, and it, we remember it well in uh, such shows as Annie Get Your Gun and so on. Uh, anyway, uh, the band uh, really caught fire in 1939. Uh, let's play another number that they recorded at that time. This is their, uh, one of their big hit tunes, Pennsylvania 65,000. Now, it was uh, named after the Pennsylvania Hotel at which they played. In case you wonder where, what happened to the Pennsylvania Hotel, that is now the Staffler Hotel in mid-Manhattan. This is Glenn Miller, 1939, Pennsylvania 65,000. Thank <laughs> you. 
really have to say what that was. The band kept announcing it, Pennsylvania 65,000. Um, actually, uh, in uh, even uh, as uh, late as early 1939, the Miller Band was far from established. He had given up the band in uh, 1938, reformed. In early 1939, he was about to give up again when he received notice that he had been picked to play the uh, summer dance season at Glen Island Casino. Now, the Glen Island Casino was one of the great dance places um, in America, and the big thing was that they had a recording contract a, for national, national, or not recording, but broadcasting uh, contracts so that uh, uh, broadcasts went out from the band every night nationwide. And uh, it, it not only made Glenn Miller, it made other bands, and with that he came into his own. As soon as Frank Daly at the Meadowbrook, was, which was the competing big uh, um, dance emporium, uh, heard about that, he uh, got uh, Miller into the Meadowbrook actually before they went into the Glen Island Casino. Since, so between the two, uh, he uh, won... Uh, the popularity that he needed. And by this time, he had strengthened the band. I've talked about um, Tex Beneke, Marion Hutton, Ray Eberly joining. Uh, about that time, Hal McIntyre and Al Klink came in in the saxophone section. Chummy McGregor was the uh, pianist. He had been with the band before and was really with the band throughout. Uh, Mickey McMichael was uh, uh, the trumpeter, and uh, most of the trumpet solos that you have heard this time are by him. Not so well recognized, but very good. Mo Portel was, uh, came in on drums so that he really had a first-class band. Bill Finnegan was the chief arranger. Uh, another one of the songs that he recorded, well, actually a little later, this is in early 1940, that became one of his really great hits. Uh, the the number was recorded actually by the Erskine Hork Hawkins Orchestra before that, but it really never caught fire with uh, uh, Hawkins, but it really did with uh, Miller. This is Tuxedo Junction. <laughs>
Glenn Miller and his orchestra, early 1949, one of his greatest hits, Tuxedo Junction. The band through 39 and 40 just kept building into the uh, tremendous popular force that it uh, gained. Uh, in uh, October of 1939, they were participants with several other bands in a Carnegie Hall concert. In December of 39, he replaced Paul Whiteman on the Chesterfield show. In January of 1940, he opened at the uh, uh, Café Rouge of the Hotel Pennsylvania, one of the prestigious uh, spots for a uh, big band. Jerry Gray became an arranger in 1939 to add to uh, Bill Finnegan. Uh, additional fine personnel came in in the form of Trigger Alpert, a fine bassist, Ray Anthony and Billy May on trumpet. May also was an arranger. They joined in 1940. By this time, he had adapted the uh, Miller style, which was to be well-known and uh, um, to be preserved in the Miller Orchestra even to today. Essentially, that was the clarinet lead as in the sax section, which gave it a lighter sound than others. Um, we're going to play one, and this is an old 78 uh, RPM record because I couldn't find a, a long playing one of it, but uh, Miller plays uh, the great old Duke Ellington tune, Take, Take the A Train. He treats it in the Miller style. Note the tempo is completely different than Ellington plays it, and you hear the saxophones, which would be in the Ellington band, a deep uh, style with Harry Carney uh, on his um, baritone uh, uh, leading. It's a completely different thing in Miller with the clarinet lead. Uh, this is uh, uh, about 1940, Take the A Train, Glenn Miller. <laughs>
It could play jazz uh, if it were let loose. Uh, most of the time, Miller kept it under tight control uh, with limited solos uh, because he wanted to play the type of music that would uh, uh, be popular and, be, uh, and would appeal to a broad section of the American public. But it could play. Uh, Jerry Gray was the main arranger. Let's play one that uh, swings a little more. This is the, the old uh, tune, St. Louis Blues, Jerry Gray arrangement with the band swinging out uh, more than in most of the Miller arrangements. The St. Louis
blues. From a um, on-the-spot recording, you can tell from the shouts of the uh, audience that that occurred at the New York's Manhattan Center on November 18, 1940. At that time, Martin Block had a um, all-night session with 27 bands, including Lunsford, uh, uh, Basie, Ellington, and uh, most of the popular bands of the time. Each uh, band had 15 minutes to play. The uh, band that walked off with the honors and the only one that went beyond 15 minutes is another story. That's Jimmy Lunsford. But the band that was generally conceded that uh, uh, came in second was Glenn Miller, to everyone's surprise. At that uh, session, uh, as you can see by the record, uh, Glenn sort of took off the wraps, let the boys play jazz, and they could do it. Uh, another uh, time that uh, they did was at the Carnegie Hall concert in 1939. Uh, you're going to hear the introduction of this. This is Count Basie's one o'clock jump from that Carnegie Hall uh, session of December 27, 1939. Thank you, Raymond. Now we'd like to play our version of Count Basie's famous one o'clock jump.
Glenn Miller and his orchestra swinging from Carnegie Hall on December 27th, 1939, one o'clock jump. Let's uh, go back and play more typical Miller music and his biggie, In the Mood. It's interesting that um, this was recorded under a contract for a set price. Glenn Miller Orchestra was paid $175 for recording In the Mood, and they never got any royalties on it until the Miller estate uh, uh, reviewed the contract and uh, in 1972 and began to get some uh, uh, royalties on it from that time. You, uh, the saxophone solos on most of these are taken by Tex Beneke. He was with Miller during most of the uh, life of the uh, Miller Orchestra. He was a great favorite of Miller. Uh, Glenn Miller in many ways had, uh, he was a great businessman, a great leader, many ways he had tunnel vision. He thought Tex Beneke was the greatest tenor saxophonist uh, there was. Uh, George Simon, who wrote the book on the big bands, tells the story of his uh, um, officiating and organizing a uh, concert of the uh, uh, people selected by Metronome magazine as the uh, best uh, in, I believe, 1940. Uh, tenor saxophonists uh, who won the poll were Coleman, Hawkins, and Beneke. Beneke mostly on the basis of the great uh, Miller popularity. Of course, we all know that Coleman Hawkins has a position in jazz that really is uh, equaled by no one. And uh, Simon gave most of the solos to, uh, on that, those records to uh, Hawkins. And uh, Miller, in many ways, never forgave him for that. Couldn't understand why Beneke shouldn't be the equal. But Tex Beneke was a good soloist, a good, uh, good swinging soloist. This is the great uh, Miller rendition in the mood.
Todd Miller's In the Mood, probably his most popular recording. Typical of Miller, Tex Beneke, uh, uh, saxophone solo, great section work. Uh, I think uh, the secret of, uh, much of the secret of um, Miller's popularity was his section work. Now, you'll notice that uh, we know that in the bands of Ellington, Basie, you've had many soloists, and uh, the, uh, their numbers are often repeat with, the, with different soloists. Miller did not emphasize the soloist nearly as much, but the section work. And in so doing, I think he appealed to a much broader um, group of people than the, the more or less jazz band that uh, featured the soloist. Now, we know that jazz is the essence of jazz is solo improvisation. But to the non-jazz buff, the sec good section work of, uh, of the band, of the um, trumpets, uh, trombones, uh, saxophones, uh, is appealing and appeals to a broader audience. And Miller exploited this, did it well, and won a popularity that no one else had. Uh, let's play another uh, tune just uh, before World War II, or about at the be beginning, very popular, a great Jerry Gray arrangement. This is American Patrol. <laughs> Thank you. 
Miller Orchestra, American Patrol. Another example of uh, another technique of the Miller Band, the repeated riff, dying down, then coming back with a blast uh, that uh, uh, always added interest, kept the dancer swinging. The uh, Miller Band, probably for precision, attack, shadowing, and blend, could not be topped. This inevitably sacrificed some natural feeling, but it was a magnificently disciplined organization, perhaps the best in the business. But the band could swing. Listen to the old Jelly Roll Morton tune, King Porter Stomp. of them on King Porter Stomp. Another one of the uh, uh, great recordings, great popular recordings of the Miller Orchestra was A String of Pearls. It's another Jerry Gray arrangement. By this time, uh, the famed trumpeter Bobby Hackett had joined the uh, section. This has a fine Hackett solo. This is Glenn Miller in the great danceable tune, String of Pearls. <laughs> Thank you. 
his great hit, A String of Pearls. Let's play as our last number, uh, Miller's closing theme, Sunrise Serenade. Uh, it's appropriate that we play this because it uh, helps denote the end of the band, which occurred at Passaic, New Jersey, September 27, 1942, where they gave their final concert. At that time, uh, Miller was uh, commissioned a captain in the United States uh, Army. Uh, he disbanded. He formed an Army Air Force band, which uh, rehearsed at uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Yale University It had top men from uh, some of them from his band from all across the United States. Uh, they played in the uh, U.S. at Army bases uh, uh, throughout the country in the spring of 1944. They went to uh, London. At that time, London was in the middle of the buzz bomb bombing. Uh, there at one point, the quarters which uh, they were staying in and left uh, uh, one day, and on that night, those quarters were destroyed. So uh, they played throughout England, played on the British Broadcasting Company, and, uh, uh, and had great popularity playing to millions of uh, uh, people in England, including the servicemen. Um, the plans were for the band after the conquest of uh, France to uh, go to Paris. To make that arrangement on December 15, 1944, Glenn Miller with two others took off on a small plane uh, from an airport uh, near London bound for Paris. The plane and the men were never heard of again. The band arrived three days later, but uh, uh, Glenn Miller never arrived. Just what happened to the plane is unknown. The weather was terribly foul at the time. In fact, transports were not flying out of London uh, to uh, France as they were almost every day. The plane uh, did not have the uh, clearance it should have had uh, and uh, may have been uh, uh, shot down by enemy plane, even by English uh, uh, own uh, anti-aircraft. At any rate, the band continued after Miller's death uh, as the Army Air Force Band led by Jerry Gray and Ray McKinley. And as you know, the uh, uh, Miller Estate still runs the Glenn Miller Orchestra with great popularity. Miller left a uh, legacy of great music, great popularity. He brought the swing era to people that uh, other bands had not done. Uh, and. Uh, uh, his music uh, always brings joy to uh, whoever hears it. Well, it's been a pleasure bringing you this uh, program. Uh, next week, we're going to have another one of the great bands, Jimmy Lunsford. Until then, as always, this is Bud Lundberg saying that swings the thing. ¶¶